0: This episode is proudly sponsored by Vivino, the world's largest online wine marketplace. The Vivino app makes it easy to choose wine. Enjoy expert team support, door to door delivery, and honest wine reviews to help you choose the perfect wine for every occasion. Vivino. Download the app on Apple or Android and discover an easier way to choose wine. Welcome to Wine, Food, and Travel. With me, Mark Mellon, on the Italian Wine Podcast. We'd like to welcome you today to Wine to Wine 2021 Clubhouse Marathon in collaboration with the UK Wine Show, Interpreting Wine, and Bevology, Inc. Today, we're traveling into the Valpolicella Wine Hills to meet our guest, Mariano Buglioni of the Azienda Agricola Buglioni. Welcome. Mariano, it's great to have you here with us today.
1: Thank you so much, Mark, and welcome back
2: to Verona. Oh, it's so good to be back in Italy. Now, Mariano, you've just t- been telling me you've had a fabulous harvest this year. It's um, It's gone well. Tell us about, about where your vineyards are. Tell us about, you know, I want our listeners to really have a picture of the Valpolicella, the classic mm-hmm. part of the Valpolicella. Yeah. Uh, let's say, Classico,
1: Valpolicella area is located in uh, the northwest compared to Verona, so it's towards uh, downtown and Garda Lake, okay. right in between. It belongs to just five villages, San Pietro in Cariano, where we are, then we have Negrar, then we have uh, Sant'Ambrogio, then we have Fumane, and then we have uh, Mamma Mia! I've got, uh, you know, when you don't remember a name, that is uh, in front of you. <laughs> These are the five valleys that yeah. are coming down from the mountain. Exactly. Okay. And we are right in the, in the middle of the five valleys because uh, St. Peter in Coriano is located in, right in, in front of all of them. And uh, our property is producing, of course, uh, our land is producing, is producing grape uh, since when we started. So uh, we started the uh, middle of the 90s with uh, just a few hectares. It was a little bit less than four hectares. And then uh, slowly we started to in- increase and improve. Uh, you know, the- right now uh, we are farming close to 50 hectares in the classical area and since uh, 19 we became totally organic okay. so all the 50 hectares has been converted have been converted in uh, organic mm-hmm. and as you were asking the the vintage uh, for us uh, seems to be one of the best uh, since last uh, 15 years because uh, we just finished uh, last friday and uh, really the grape was outstanding it was uh, super perfect and there was no no, not any kind of issue, you know, we didn't get any
2: frost, we didn't get any any, any kind of issue. So really one of the best vintages uh, since a uh, long time. Wow, that's really great to hear. And this year of all years, it's really mm-hmm. fabulous to have that good, positive news. Your vineyards are in the old dry stone terraced hills of the Valpolicella. Uh, no, uh, we have been lucky because we found uh, like a a big
1: portion in the policella Classical area that is uh, kind of flat uh, we are 150 160 uh, meters above the sea level okay. uh, but is uh, is like a, a huge terrace on on this level and uh, yeah all, all over there we can say that we are in a flat area but it's uh, is already in a kind of a high altitude It's not okay. uh, it's not uh, at the sea level at all
2: and the family began the winery in the 90s. So you're the second generation that's then taken over the family of vineyards. Did you always expect that you would move into wine as a profession? No, not
1: at all. Because uh, uh, going back to my family, in the, uh, previously we were doing uh, textiles or garment, oh. we were doing something totally different. And just by coincidence, buying uh, you know, a little property with a rustico, r- rustic house on top yeah. of it, just to go and live there with the family, uh, we, we purchased this property. And on top of that, there were these four hectares of vineyard. Yeah. That's the reason, because we had to start to harvest, but we didn't know how to cut the grape. We didn't know anything about it. So it was right out of the blue, what shall we do with the grape? Because it's ready and we have to do something.
2: So, wow, that's a fascinating story. And then little by little, that wine seeped into your blood and you became, it, it took over your lives.
1: Totally, because uh, I decided to change my life. So it was 2004, I decided to jump out of the family business and starting to take care of the winery that was just, uh, you know, uh, started the first vintage uh, was 2000. So very soon I decided to quit my previous family business and to start just to take care of
2: vines and then uh, to produce the wine and become a wine producer. Okay, so this is now already your 21st vintage then that you've made since you took it, over. It is, wow. exactly. okay. 21st. Yeah. And you produce the classic wines of Valpolicella, Valpolicella, Valpolicella Ripasso, exactly. Amarone. And the Ricciotto and Amarone Riserva as well. And Amarone Riserva, exactly. Tell us about the the grape varieties, because Valpolicella and these wines are not single varietal wines. They come from a blend. Tell us about the grape varieties and what they contribute. Yeah, the beauty
1: the beauty of Valpolicella is that with the same grape varietals, we get uh, five different, six different wines, just changing the vinification. But the blend is mainly done from Corvina, that is the main one. Then we have Corvinone. Then we have a Rondinella. It was Molinara in the past. Now you can use it, but uh, with a, a certain amount, so it's not free. And then uh, you can add the other uh, indigenous or native varieties, like uh, we grow uh, ozoleta." Ozoleta, for example, is very old, indigenous, and very rustic grape, that brings uh, to the wine uh, the color, so it's very dark. Gives a little bit of uh, richness in spiciness, so it gives some uh, uh, some touch of uh, white pepper, and so it brings this specific uh, specific thing to the wine. Okay. Then we have Corvina and Corvinone that are the main grapes, uh, and those. What, what
2: percentage would be Corvina and Corvinone? Uh,
1: let's say that both of them together at least uh, is. Always, never less than 60 to 70%. Okay, so they're really the backbone of the wine. Absolutely, absolutely. Then all the others is just to, to have a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, flower notes or you get a little bit of spicy notes or you okay. get a bit of other things. But the main cherry note comes from Corvina and Corvina. Okay, and that osleta is just giving a bit of structure and tannin? Any tannin coming from it? Uh, it comes, yeah, from, from both of them, but the main... Tannic one is uh, for sure ozoleta. Ozoleta is yeah. super, super tannic. Yeah, okay.
2: Absolutely. Great. Now, as far as the training, you still um, cultivate some on the traditional pergola veronese? We, okay, on
1: 50 hectares, let's say that uh, one-third is in uh, pergola and two-thirds is in uh, Guyu. Okay. Yeah. We are now slowly going back to pergola, so we are converting a little bit of the two-thirds uh, into um, pergola again.
2: Why would you be going back? It's more labor intensive the pergola,
1: isn't it, it? It is, but it's more. It's something that was in Valpolicella since ever, and the reason was that uh, pergola helps you to avoid to get uh, this uh, uh, dryness that you get during the hot summer. Okay. And helps whenever you have uh, a lot of humidity, because the high of the the length of the the tree, the the vine. Is, uh, is much longer than the Guyot. Guyot is very short, where the pergola is much higher than, uh, than guillo. So if you have humidity, humidity used to be sticked into the ground. So it it is better if it is uh, taller and you get a more distance between the ground and, uh, and the fruit.
2: Okay. So the humidity side. Perhaps then with climate change and warming, then we see that these old traditional ways of, of training were...
1: It helps, work it work helps work much work. more, yeah, yeah, because you have more shadow and so the, the, the bunches doesn't get burned from, right. from the sun, so it, it's really much, much better. But harder
2: right. work to harvest, yeah. you have to reach up to the bunches. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really hard and uh, it takes much more time. It's uh, even more difficult to do all, all the things you do, you know, just uh, for example, uh, the cut grassing, uh, all those things, because you need to have specific tractors, you need right. to have specific machineries. Uh, yeah. uh, The spacing
2: between the vines is different Well, let's talk about the wines themselves. Uh, Starting with your Valpolicella, for you, what are you looking for in the classic Valpolicella? Um, The classic Valpolicella is the wine that has to have, uh,
1: for for sure, two important things. The first one is the fruitiness. So it has to be fruity. Cherry, as I said before, cherry note has to be there, is the prevalent one. And then the other one, uh, needs to have uh, the acidity, so the freshness, doesn't need to have any touch of, uh, you know, oak or uh, heavy tannins, otherwise it becomes difficult, difficult to, to drink after so short aging, because you don't age uh, that long. It's just a few months in the bottle and then uh, straight
2: to the bottle, straight to the, to the glass. So that beautiful fruit, ready to drink the year after it's been made. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Now, of course, Amarone and Recioto are wines that are made from semi-dried grapes that undergo this period of passimento. When do you actually select the grapes that you're going to be drying? Is that done before the main harvest or at the same time as the harvest? Uh, no. We just start to collect
1: uh, you know, in different moments. So, for example, you start from Corvina, and then you go to Rondinella and then you go to Corvinone. But the selection uh, is done by hand uh, and by the guys uh, who used to harvest. So it's immediately
2: done in the moment we start. Okay. And you're looking for different, something different in the grapes that will be dried than what you would be using yeah, to uh, press fresh. For sure. You
1: need to collect only uh, the best fruit. Okay. You cannot start to collect everything because if something has uh, any kind of issue, even a broken bunch or a broken piece of, uh, of the fruit, you cannot use it because otherwise, uh, once you start drying that, uh, uh, any cut that is in the bunch is, is, uh, is going to allow the mold to, you know, to, okay. to multiplicate and to go everywhere in
2: the, in the production. Right. So the grapes are then laid out to dry on
1: cane? Uh, no, we don't use cane. Uh, we started to use this uh, plastic box because uh, what we believe is that we sanitize. Okay. Sanitize is yeah. sanitized, yeah. Uh, totally and completely with the with the machine that uh, that used to steam yeah. all, all, all the mm-hmm. boxes, so we don't take, have any kind of, uh, let's say, problem, any kind of uh, from the container. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's
2: perfectly clean, and uh, the food has to be in, in a perfect place. Okay. And what? Where is that perfect place? I want to give people a picture of this these rooms full of this aroma of grapes drying. It's a very special, I mean, really Valpolicella in that respect is so different from other wines because of this period of appassimento. We need to have two good harvests, the first harvest, but also the right conditions during the drying. Sure, that's why, as I said, uh, not, not only the box,
1: but even the room has to be super clean, has okay. to be without any kind of issue, without uh, flies going in. That's why we have... Uh, and decided to build. A, a, it's a huge room where we stock all these uh, cases, all these boxes, and it's totally surrounded by windows. So we have natural wind blowing in. Okay. Uh, we don't use that much machinery because we like to have the natural uh, air and the, the, the warm air that that you get uh, during September, October, and a little bit more humid during November. Just because that helps to have uh, uh, the proper maturation, the proper drying. Consider that in this period, you lose something between 25 to 35% of the weight just in uh, uh, evaporation. So during this moment, where you have a lot of humidity into the room. You need to have uh, uh, all, all those big windows with the wind blowing in and trying to dry the room as much as possible. Right.
2: Now, does the building need to be um, situated in a certain direction to to get the best wind? What is the wind that comes down that dries the grapes? Is there one wind that is a drier, less humid wind that you want to open up to? Or is any
1: wind? um, Let's say it's any wind uh, during the day. That's why during the night we close uh, all all the windows, all the doors, just because we don't want to get the humidity of the night. But during the day, the regular day where it's uh, sun shining outside, or it's a perfect condition, yep. everything is open. The wind blows in. It can come from north, west, or east. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter.
2: Okay. And these grapes that have dried, you can make the three wines: Amarone, Amarone Riserva, and, and Ricciotto. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the vinification. Then. Let's start from drying.
1: So. We dry the grape, as I was saying, uh, for a specific period that goes between uh, minimum two months up to three, three and a half months. You dry a little bit more the grape that uh, has to be used for uh, rechotto, so the sweeter, the sweeter wine we produce. Then the technique is the same. So we just, uh, uh, as soon as the, the, the drying is over, we just start the fermentation. Fermentation due to high concentration of uh, sugar and to cold temperature that you get between December and January, the fermentation takes at least uh, between 30 to 40 days to to finish. So it's a very long fermentation. So if you stop the fermentation, uh, let's say at a specific moment, that can be between uh, 50% or 60% of uh, this time, you still have something sweet and you get the rechotto one. So you don't allow all the sugar to evolve into alcohol. If you don't stop it, all the sugar evolves into alcohol, then you get something that from sweet, like a one, goes into the bitterness, because all the sugar goes into the alcohol, and the alcohol is for
2: What uh, percentage alcohol would be the ricciotto and the sweeter wine with still some residual sugar, and then the finished amarone? In our case, we have, uh, uh, just
1: to give you the right numbers, 13% of uh, alcohol in the ricciotto up to 16.5 up to percent in the Amarone. Wow, so that yeast can still work. Our, and the sugar we have in the Rochotto is 120 grams
2: per My goodness. liter. Wow, and in Amarone is three to five grams per liter. Wow, that's incredible. Really? Yeah, the Amarone Reserva is that a question of aging longer? By, yeah, by the law, by the appellation, it's just a request of aging
1: one year longer than the regular one. What we do is a totally different process. We started in 2015 not to dry and to age them in the classic method, but we started to uh, dry and age into amphora. Oh. Yeah, totally different method. So it's no oak, it's not, uh, it's not stainless steel for fermentation, but it's totally in amphora. It's a very tiny production. It's 3,000, 3,000, few hundred bottles. But uh, we start from uh, the drying. So as soon as we finish to dry all the grape, we go into each box and we start to pick all the best bunch after three months. You know, So whatever is perfect and didn't get any kind of trouble, any issue, we just separate the grape. And according to what we separate, we start this uh, specific uh, fermentation
2: and uh, vinification into the amphora. Okay, so the vinification actually is in the amphora. Absolutely. Now, what does amphora give that's different from fermentation, either in stainless steel or in wood? For example, the fermentation, one of the craziest
1: things is that fermentation in stainless steel, uh, you know that we have this uh, beautiful tank that uh, you can control the temperature control, uh, you can do anything you want. In amphora, you cannot control anything. So okay. it's by the nature. It starts when it wants, and it finishes when, it, <laughs> when it's okay. ready. So consider that, uh, as I was saying, 30 to 40 days, you get the fermentation in the stainless steel. In amphora, can last even for 80 to 85 days. Oh, my goodness. Really. Wow. Incredible. It's still it's bubbling away. Still a bubbling. Yeah. It's still bubbling. It's very slow motion bubbling, but uh, it starts in a very slow motion and then slowly go into the proper way. But it takes uh, really at least
2: seventy to eighty-five, eighty-seven. Oh, that's days. incredible. Brilliant. So, if you're a winemaker that loves control, that wants to know exactly, precise when things are going to happen, you cannot do that. This is not the <laughs> no way. <laughs> but you trust the wine. You trust your grapes, and you you let it go where it's going. Yeah, when you choose the right grape, when you you know that
1: uh, your material, your fruit is perfect. Uh, you're sure that something will,
2: will work. Something special. Yeah, something will come. special. Again. Yeah. No. For sure. Now, after the uh, Recioto, the Amarone, the Amarone Reserve, you have the Vinace that are left mm-hmm. Is this the the, uh, the grape pomace? Is this what you will be using then for your Valpolicella Ripasso? Absolutely. So, okay. as soon as we finish the
1: fermentation of uh, Amarone, we just take out uh, um, the wine, only the wine from the fermentation tank, and then. Uh, we leave all the, the skins, all this vinaccia, and a little bit of, of course, of choice of uh, uh, Amarone into yeah. into the bottom of the tank. And then we pump the Valpolicella on top, going through the skins. Of this specific uh, action is called ripasso, so paste again, because if the Valpolicella paces through the skins of Amarone. And there, 90% of the time starts a secondary fermentation, okay. so it's a secondary fermentation, it's a very fast one, three to four days. That but that's a little bit of extra alcohol? It's a little bit of extra alcohol, adds a little bit of, uh, you know, color, it's darker, yeah. and then the structure is uh, a little bit more body, so you get this uh, dry structure that yeah. is uh, better, is, is uh, richer than yeah. the previous,
2: that you started to, to put into the tank. Into the tank. Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about. Um, it's such a beautiful area for people to visit, and I hope that our listeners will will be exploring the Malpolicia and come and visit you. Yeah, that will be great. <laughs> Tell me about the foods, the traditional foods of the Malpolicia.
1: Okay, let's start saying that. Uh, okay, since we we, we came from uh, a, a different, my family was in the garment, as I was saying. When we started uh, producing the wine, so we became producers, um, the first reaction of the community, even in Corona, was a little bit negative because they said that it was just for us uh, a hobby, it was a heavy and hard hobby, so they were betting uh, that we were kind of uh, finishing this hobby very soon because, as I said, it's very hard, it's very competitive and so on. So to prove that, uh, we uh, started to think to open even the hospitality side. So we opened 2005 when Middle Osteria is a wine bar in downtown Verona. Just to prove that it was not just an hobby, but we were really believing to, to become uh, not only a winemaker, but a different winemaker. Someone who knows how to pair the wine with food. And not only with local food, even if we serve mainly local food. <coughs> But even with uh, with something that we can uh, we can get in, uh, for example, uh, Asian food that is a, is a little bit more spicy, or uh, South American food that is a little bit more uh, hot, let's yeah. say. So we decided since the beginning to produce wine that was perfectly pairing with food and not just good for us or good for you. It was something that was really matching with uh, with the food, as I said, mainly with the. Mm, Typical food that we serve in Veneto, so with a lot of things that we serve here. Then uh, we decided to open uh, a little uh, on the hospitality side, a little uh, wine village with a uh, few rooms. It's uh, 16 rooms where we can host people and they can live with
2: us. Uh, is that actually in the wine country? In the, it, it is yeah. in the middle of the vineyard. In, so the, middle the, vineyard, right the, vineyard, in the middle of the vineyard. That's yeah. such a such a wonderful experience for people to be able to actually live and experience and taste the wine while they're amidst the the vines. We believed uh, since the beginning that that
1: the only way to prove that we are serious and doing great things uh, is to come and live with us what we are doing. So you can stay there, you can uh, prune with us, you can uh, uh, harvest with us, you can even uh, be in production with us. So totally, we are open to see people coming and working enjoying with us what we are doing.
2: actually that's wonderful it's 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 it takes the experience of tasting wine with a wine producer even further if you can actually get into the canteen and, and get a sense of all the effort involved in making wine
1: absolutely we have sometimes uh, our distributor they they used to send uh, people working with them just to understand and better understand how we're produce and uh, how much effort we yeah. put into into
2: the wine yeah, I'm really interested as well that um, you're also concerned with matching your wines, not just with the local flavors, the local foods, but because you're selling your wines all around uh, the world, you know, they, they have to pair well with international cuisine. Absolutely. What would be a pairing, an international pairing, that you would say works particularly well with one of your wines? I was impressed once I was in center
1: of America, and... Uh I was in a restaurant, uh, by coincidence I was there, it was a Thai restaurant, but I was not in Thailand, I was right uh, in, uh, in the center of America, as I was saying, and he uh, was one of the uh, biggest consumers of our repaso, and I was shocked, I say, how is it possible that my repaso is uh, so good in, uh, in a Thai restaurant, so I went there, I was having food with them, and they say, can you explain the reason you sell so much uh, repaso?" and they said, so easy, taste my food that is very spicy together with your repaso. Wow. And was matching perfectly. Yeah, I was right. like, wow.
2: Yeah, that sort of soft roundness that comes perhaps... Uh,
1: and reduce a little bit the spiciness that you yeah. get from uh, from the flavor of, you know, Thai, thai is very yeah. spicy like Mexican, like, uh, you know, those kind of food that, that are really with a lot of... Uh, Peperoncino spicy. Yeah, i know that sounds oh. actually a wonderful match. Yeah, the other one on the opposite side. I was uh, I was in Sicily uh, years ago, and a friend of mine said uh, uh, today we go to to have some very fresh food uh, by, by the sea, and I was like I can wait for it. Uh, so we went by the sea, and we were we were uh, having this food, and they started to serve uh, uh, raw scampi. You know scampi like prawns, yeah. yeah. Okay, it was totally raw, just catch just finished yeah. i was wondering what kind of wine are you serving and he said uh, i'm serving your amarone I was like are you sure and uh, i was so really not sure that uh, the pairing was was the best but then uh, when i tasted the scampi that was of course amazing was super fresh and super good together with the amarone i understood that uh, Amarone still has some sweetness from, uh, from the sugar residual. Some yeah. sugar residual is still there and goes together with the sweetness of the, the raw ro- fish, the raw ro- scampi, that is very sweet because it's fat. Then alcohol helps to clean up your palate. Sure. And then the beautiful thing is that as soon as uh, you eat and drink, uh, three seconds after, the scampi comes back in your palate uh,
2: wow. and is really something outstanding. Actually, I've tasted some of the raw um, scampi and gambaro rosso in Sicily. And When you have that gambaro rosso, uh, the tingle and the flavor in the mouth stays a long time. And that persistence in your wine would be doing the same So I can see. That would be absolutely... It's a perfect match. I was super impressed. Wow, great. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. So your Osteria in the middle of... Verona. Yeah. What is that called? Because I'm going to be making a beeline to it. It's called Osteria del Bugiardo. Del
1: Bugiardo. Bugiardo means okay. The Liar. I see. The Liar because our repaso has been named The Liar. Okay. Uh, since the beginning. We were uh, just trying to understand our, how, uh, how good was our winemaker. Imagine that we started uh, uh, coming from a different business. And we hired one very young winemaker. At that time, he was 23 years old promoted by the university as uh, one of the most talented wine guy coming out from the university. And I was like, okay, let's start with him. So we did the interview. So he started with us after a couple of months. Uh, We wanted to understand if he was so talented. So we uh, named one uh, expert sommelier in Verona to come in the the cellar and taste the wines. While tasting the ripasso, he said, this is a very nice, soft, and not so much alcoholic uh, Amarone. So we were a little bit shocked and we said, Thank you, but this is not a numberone. It's just a passo. He was more shocked than us, and he said, "If it is not a numberone, this is a liar why. Oh. And so my father said, "Okay, let's name it the liar." Right. And that happened. So we uh-huh. opened the osteria a couple of years after, and they say, "That let's call him, let's call our osteria Osteria del Bujo."
2: Okay, that's a wonderful name. Thank you very much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for being my guest today. For coming in, I know you're sleeping a little bit better now that the grapes are in, and you can relax much uh, better. Yeah, <laughs> much, but, much better. Well, I'm delighted that it's been such a good harvest, and I look forward to eventually tasting the wines.
1: Please come. Uh, we we wanted to show you around not only in the uh, in the drying building, but we want to show you around even. Uh, in our hospitality side, just to check if what we say that is really true or
2: not. I would love to. i mean, I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much, Marco. Thank you, you so, so much. Grazie, Grazie. Grazie.
0: So that is all we have time for today. Thank you again to Mariano Buglioni for being our guest today. We will see you soon on another episode of Wine to Wine 2021 Clubhouse Marathon. <laughs>